And you will notice in your bulletin there are um, actually seven points to this sermon today. So I promise to get you out of here before supper time. And so as we, as we cover those things here. But let's, um, let's pray before we begin anything today. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this gathering that we have here this morning. And Lord, it is good to be here this morning. And Father, our prayer is now that as we stand in your counsel, Father, that you would help us to, to see and hear, um, pay attention, listen to your word to us this morning, Father. Father, I pray that you would liven our sometimes cold hearts with the truth of the fire of the gospel of the G- Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, I would pray that you would rescue us from the little lives that deceive us, And, Father, the little obstacles or the big obstacles that come our way at times, and these obstacles, they discourage us, Father. And, Father, mainly um, um, rescue us from self-righteousness that always deludes us. And, Father, we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The question, first question today, and the only question that we're going to talk about today is, Um, How well do you know the gospel? How well do you understand the gospel? Someone has once said, and it it is very, very true, that the gospel is the most important message in all of history. Um, In it lies death and life. And so... As, as I was preparing this message, and you will see it's called Preach the Gospel, and we oftentimes hear evangelism, preach the gospel, but today I want to bring the point out, um, first and foremost, to preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. You know, in our Christian lives, we believe um, subconsciously, um, if we were to ask you this question, you would say, no way. But we believe subconsciously, <clears throat> we assume the gospel is something mainly for non-Christians. And here again, um, Pastor um, Tim Keller says, we see the gospel, <clears throat> excuse me, as a set of ABCs. ABC doctrines that are, are, in the, are kind of the way in which we enter the kingdom of God. And we often assume that once we're converted, we don't need to hear or understand the gospel. We need more um, advanced material. The gospel is something we breathe and, and received in the past, but it's not something we live and breathe daily. You know, but, but the gospel is, is not the only way to begin your life in the kingdom of God. It's the only way that we live in the kingdom of God. It is the gospel that, is, that transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the gospel is not to, so much to make us better Christians, but calling us to, to live out the gospel moment by moment of every day. So therefore, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So what is the gospel? It is the good news that Jesus Christ has already done everything necessary for salvation. If we trust in him, he will make us right with God 
by giving us the free gift of his grace. As we understand that God's grace cannot be earned, a lot of times we fight a battle there in our own lives daily. The grace that only comes free, and that, it, that brings the problem often arises after we have received free grace of God, we only think that somehow or another God's love for us is conditional. That it depends on how I am doing in my Christian walk or in my Christian life. So our walk becomes kind of a performance. And that performance, when we act in a performance, our works, righteousness, we may call it, um, when we do that, it, it, that in itself denies the grace of God. We keep trying to earn what is given to us freely. So we need, again, to preach the gospel to ourselves daily in order to live by grace. And although we have been saved by grace, we, don't, we, we struggle in that area to live daily by that grace. When we don't daily live in the realm of the gospel, it also affects our sanctification. This pursuit of holiness that we that we have, it, it, that sanctification, um, our growing in, in, in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that is somewhat slowed. So in order to pursue sanctification, we have to be firmly rooted in the gospel. Because if we're not, then we're going to drift. We're going to drift off and we're, we're going to become discouraged in our pursuit of Christ-likeness. I was... Here again, preparing for this, and R.C. Sproul, we mentioned him quite a lot in Sunday school this morning, but R.C. Sproul once, and this is back in the 90s, once went to a convention, Christian convention, and one of the questions on the, um, they had there is, what is the gospel? If you had to write down what is the gospel, what would you put down? And um, of the thousands that were there, probably only 10% got it right. And this is a Christian convention. So, kind of an indictment there. So, what is the gospel? What we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, and we're going to be concentrating on verses 19 through 26. And so, let's go ahead and read that right now. And as we read that, we're going to start, and I'm going to give you seven truths that actually we can get or, or learn from this particular um, scripture. And I, I, before I start, I want to give credit to where credit is due. Um, these seven um, truths are from Jerry Bridges, author Jerry Bridges in his book, um, Disciplines of Grace. And so I want to tell you that even before I get started. But let's um, look, chapter 3 of Romans, starting in verse 19. We will read through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. But now righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fought short fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement 
through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies the man who has faith in Jesus. I'm using the NIV this morning, and I, I had a specific purpose of doing that. I'm using um, the NIV, this Bible, this particular Bible here, to commemorate um, when I was saved. Um, and when I had to go all the way to Richmond to the Logos bookstore back in, um, way back, I'll say, <laughs> and, um, and bought this book. Actually, this book is 40 years old, and, it has um, been to the binder, it's been rebound and all this stuff, so I usually just keep it on the shelf, but I brought it out of retirement this morning. Anyway, first truth. No one is declared righteous before God by observing the law. Very plain. All the way through this section of Romans chapter 3, Paul has been basically speaking to the religious people of his day. He's been talking to the law-keeping, Bible-believing, self-righteous people. That's why in verses 10 through 18, right above what we just read, um, is Old Testament scripture, mostly Psalms and Isaiah. And this, what is basically described is the effects of sin, what has been described here. So I think it's a good point um, for us to look at this because basically um, we could say, well, how does sin affect us? And very plain here. Let's read 10 through 18 of chapter 3. Back up a little bit. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are an open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of viper is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And basically the reason I read this is because we or anyone is not ready to hear the gospel until we understand our condition before a holy God. And that's what God's word is before us. And so what are the effects of sin? Just rather quickly here. Um... Verse 10 says we are, it, it involves our legal standing. We're guilty. We're all guilty. No, there is none righteous. No one is righteous. Verse 11, what does sin do to us? It affects our mind. It also affects our motive. No one understands. We have all turned away. We've gone our own way. Verse 12, it affects our will. All have turned away. They have... Could, Together become worthless. There is no one who does good. It affects in verse 13 and 14, it affects our mouth, our tongues. Our throats are an open grave. Our tongues practice deceit, poison of vipers on our lips. Our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Our throats are an open grave. Nothing but decay comes. It affects our relationships with each other. Verses 15 through 17. We're swift to shed blood, ruin and misery, or mark our way. Way of peace, we don't know. And finally and foremost, sin affects our relationship with God. There's no fear of God 
There is no fear of God. So this is what the law says people are like. And the people to whom Paul is speaking are Jews and Gentiles. But he's also speaking to us. Verse 19 says, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So it applies to everyone who knows and to seeks to keep the law is just as much as those who don't know or don't even care. And to clarify here, when the word law is used, that I use the word law here, I'm not referring specifically to the law given to Moses, to the nation of Israel. I'm using the term in a more general sense um, to refer to God's nature and the rule of obedience that he requires of all of us. And this standard of obedience is absolute perfection. James 2.10 helps us here. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Apostle Paul says the same thing in Galatians 3.10. All who rely on the law are under a curse. What is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. So only perfect obedience is, that, is acceptable to God. So therefore we know we got a problem, right? So with this in mind, then the only effect this law, this perfect obedience can have on us is a spiritual condition of silence. We have nothing to boast about here, do we? Verse 19 again, every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held, whole world held accountable to God. We are included in the whole world. We are all sinful. You know, the law is not a, a, not a checklist we can check off with our good deeds daily. You know, the law is, is a standard. It is a plumb line. It is a benchmark, if you will. And it just shows us in all the areas that we fail. And we are made aware of who we really are through, through the law. And that is sinners. So no matter how kind, generous, thoughtful, or loving we may be, our only response is, I am a sinner. I have nothing to boast about or say to God. No, no defense, no offers to make. Conclusion can only be that I am in desperate trouble. You know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know this morning. If you're a Christian, you know this. We know this. And we, we will acknowledge that we can never, through our obedience, attain a righteousness that leads to salvation. But the problem is we, is we try to act if, if by some measure live lives that are some way acceptable to God. Kind of let me explain here a little bit. I think you know where, where I'm going. But you just think of, uh, for a moment of your good day, bad day um, life. You know what a good day is. Um, you know, I've been kind, I've been generous, I've been thoughtful, I've been loving. Um, I have been very careful um, with what I have said today. I want to say um, good words, you know, uh, edifying words, all these type of things. I, wa I want to say those, those type of things. Um, I haven't let my mind run amok with, with thoughts. A bad day would be the exact opposite. I haven't been very loving. I haven't been very kind. I haven't been very generous. I haven't been very thoughtful. 
In fact, I've said some things I shouldn't have said. I've probably listened to some gossip I shouldn't have listened to. Um, my prayer life for this morning was nothing. I felt like my prayers didn't get any further than the ceiling. Um, I didn't understand anything I read in the Bible. So that's, that's what we would contrast, good days, bad days. We have them. We have them. But the question is, will you be more confident of God's blessing on you on the good days than the bad? That's the question. You know, as Christians, we don't stake our performance of hope on eternal life on our very best day. You know, it, but in our everyday relationship with God, most of us are no different in our thinking than sometimes non-believers because we feel like we haven't been good enough. And so as we daily preach the gospel ourselves, we need to rid ourselves of such thoughts and, learn, and try to learn and need to learn to live by grace. You know, it's um, first 28 years of my life, um, and I think this is a um, natural thing that's born into us. I don't think it's anything we turn, but, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, being good, you know, being good. Good people go to heaven, right? And I think that it is a natural uh, inclination in us. Um, and so how do we measure good? We measure good by somebody that's actually worse than we are, right? That's how we measure good. And so as long as I can be act better and do better than X here, I'm okay. And so I, I lived the first 28 years of my life like that, and then grace came. It came just in time because I was in, in bad form. And um, I, for the last 40 years, now you know how old I am, for the last 40 years, um, I have been learning to live by grace. Remember I said learning to live by grace. So we need to rid ourselves of this uh, good days, good works type mentality. Because when we do, again, we cannot take the righteousness that God gives. And he gives by grace. We have to give of our goodness. We have to come daily with, with, with empty hands. And what does scripture say? Silent mouse. Silent mouse. And so that's, that's how we have to come. Truth number two, there is a righteousness, there is righteousness from God that is apart from the law. This is verse 21. Um, a little side note here. Here again, R.C. Sproul said, um, the most important word in the New Testament is but. He says, because the difference here is between heaven and hell. But. Now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. Because we cannot attain a sufficient righteousness on our own, God has provided it for us. This righteousness from God is none other than the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, who, through his sinless life, death, and obedience to the Father's will, perfectly fulfilled the law of God. This righteousness is a gift from God. It's a righteousness displayed in his son, and it is a righteousness that is granted to us. The gospel declares that God provided a perfect righteousness, a divine righteousness, 
and he offers it to us, and by it we are accepted. But then we have sin. Sin is just as much as a reality as is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And as you know, they confront each other. They contrast each other. Sin is the world's ruin, and righteousness from God through his Son is its restoration. And that is the only restoration. Both are complete fact, and they confront each other. We must realize that our Lord perfectly fulfilled the law, both in its requirement and penalty. And by his death, he completely paid the penalty of God's broken law. Justification and righteousness um, are, are kind of the same word, or are the same word here in these scriptures. We could read verse 21 as, but now a justification from God has been known. So when God declares us righteous or justified, it's not some tongue-in-the-cheek saying calling us righteous when we actually are not. He declares us righteous on the basis of the real, all-accomplished work of his son, Jesus Christ. You'll notice I keep repeating myself this morning, but we have to repeat things to us. That's why we preach the gospel to us ourselves every day, because we need, we tend to, when somebody said one time, you know, uh, we kind of leak. And so we need to continually fill ourselves with this knowledge. That's why we preach the gospel to ourselves. That's why we preach this truth. But it's the work of righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how this is accomplished. And you're getting some big words here too. You know, this righteousness is imputed. We could say transferred. We could say credited to us. And the big, big thing here is it is God who declares this. Christ's righteousness is belonging to us. And on that basis, it belongs to us. So you have forgiveness of sin is one part of this justification. And then you have the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us, this transfer of Christ's righteousness to us. And that's how we actually become righteous. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Christ died for our salvation, but he also lives for our salvation. Our sins are transferred to Jesus, and he died on the cross to bear those sins. And also the Father took Christ's righteousness and assigned it to us. He has given us the robes of righteousness of Jesus for all who believe. Robert Haldane in his commentary on Romans wrote these words by the righteousness of Christ. To that righteousness is the eye of the believer ever to be directed. On that righteousness must he rest. On that righteousness must he live. On that righteousness must he die. In that righteousness must he appear before the judgment seat. In that righteousness must he stand in the presence of a righteous God. This standing in Christ's righteousness is never affected to any degree by our good day, bad day performance. 
you know, the, our, this righteousness that we receive in Christ um, is not some, you know, we would come with our personal vocational record or our resume. We know when we fill out a job for a job application, we always fill out a resume and we always promote ourselves there in that resume. We have nothing to promote here. It is Christ's righteousness. It's a perfect record that is given to us. And as we preach the gospel to ourselves daily, we need to learn to live day by day on reliance of Christ's righteousness. However our perception may be that particular day and how we think we stand before God that day. Number three, righteousness from God is received through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 22. You know, one thing we learn from this verse is about how righteousness comes to sinful people. Comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Righteousness receiving faith has one object, and that one object is Jesus Christ. And it's the object of belief rather than the belief itself, which is the crucial issue here. Faith is, is the hand by which the righteousness of Christ is received. And God, through his spirit, even opens that hand. Faith itself is a gift from God. You know, the word faith in the English language has no verb form. Therefore, at times, the word believe is used. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Or what is it we are to believe? That Jesus Christ, Son of God, clothed in our humanity, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross for our sins. In the short sentence, that is the gospel. The good news about Jesus Christ. And here again, Jesus Christ is the object, always the object of our faith. Basically, faith has no merit. It's kind of self-emptying in this particular incident. You know, faith, faith basically involves our complete denial of any righteousness somewhere on our own. And relies entirely on the perfect righteousness of Jesus and his death. Faith kind of has a twofold presence or twofold appearance. Um, one is self denial and reliance on Jesus Christ. So, in order to trust Jesus Christ for one's own salvation, we must completely abandon any trust in our own goodness or a vocational record, or our resume of good works. It is always only faith in Christ and no trust in ourselves. You know, this, trust of tr uh, this truth of trust in Christ alone is the basic truth of the gospel. Without this truth, there is no salvation. We as believers know this, and as we preach the gospel to ourselves daily, we are to renounce any confidence in ourselves, in our own goodness. And we place our confidence totally on Christ every day not only for salvation but for our daily acceptance before God we we have to do away with marketing ourselves before God you know Galatians um, part of Galatians 2.20 helps us here um, Apostle Paul writes the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me the Apostle Paul says that he lived independence on Jesus for his righteous standing before God on a day-to-day -day basis. 
The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Truth number four, this righteousness is available to everyone on the same basis because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 23. We know this verse, don't we? But another lesson we learn about how righteousness comes here is it cannot come through our actions or efforts. Remember I said I'm going to be repeating myself a lot this morning. We were made in God's image to bring him glory. In our sin, we lost this glory. We cannot live in the presence of God enjoying his approval because of our sin. Any sin, however small or insignificant it may seem to us, is a violation of God's holy standard. Remember James 2.10. Perfect obedience. Then we have this kind of this mindset of um, one person may, may not be not so bad sinner and another person is a constant, constant awful sinner. But the fact of the matter is they're both sinners. Ran across an interesting... Um, article um, a month or so ago. It was on the internet, so it's got to be true. But um, and and this was that Idaho was the least simple state in the country. I'm not sure how they came to that conclusion, but that's the conclusion they came to. Um, But again, because they may send less, than any other state does not eliminate them from being sinners. All of us, every one of us fails the passing grade. Whether you get a zero, whether you get a 60, whether you get a 99.9, we fail. We are all guilty. That's what this verse says. And that's why the ending of verse 22 says there is no difference. There's no difference. This then destroys any room for comparison of ourselves with anybody else, with believers or anyone. Especially with other people who we think may be more simple than we are. The old expression, you've heard this before, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So to live by the gospel every day, we have to put away all tendencies to compare ourselves with, with believers or unbelievers for that matter. Well, we must, but how do we measure ourselves? We measure ourselves against God's perfect holy standard. And when we do that, we have to confess that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Truth number five. All who put their faith in Jesus Christ are justified freely by God's grace. This is the first part, we would say 24a. Here again, another lesson we learn about how righteousness or justification comes, it comes freely by his grace. The word freely, kind of an easy word to describe, but the word freely means without a cause, that it's given or done for no reason. The word freely also kind of indicates um, without a payment of any kind. Justification cannot be purchased by the payment of good works. This is important because it is possible to think of faith as a kind of work. 
It is only the work of Christ that merits our salvation. Faith is simply coming to God with empty hands. It is important to understand that faith is only the instrument by which you receive your salvation, not the cause of your salvation. If we were to go there, we would think something here is a work that I am doing, and it's not. Another word uh, is helpful to understand here is, is this word on justification. To be justified is to be acquitted of any guilt and to be declared absolutely righteous. And we are not only set free from guilt, we are also personally accepted by God because of Christ. Jerry Bridges says justification is like a two-sided coin. On the one side, we are declared not guilty before God, and on the other, we are positively declared to be righteous through Christ. He says we are righteous because of Jesus' merit and not ours, and we are also in union with, with Christ. Basically, Jesus stood in our place. Simply put, everything Jesus did, we, we, we have done. He is our representative. He satisfied all the demands of the law by dying on a cross for our sins. His was the sinner's life, and his was the sin-bearing death. The other part of Galatians 2.20 comes into play here. I have been crucified with Christ. That is our union. So preaching the gospel to ourselves means that we take hold of the fact that Christ's life and death are ours because of our union with him. Paul writes in Romans 8.1, we should know this verse by... By heart, therefore, there is, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But at times, because of our failures or because of uh, things we've done, our actions, our whatever, um, we do feel condemned. And sometimes we feel like God may not be for us, but Romans 8.31 says he is for us. So, therefore, we must preach to ourselves what God declares is true. We must preach to ourselves what God declares is true through our justification with Christ. Justification is a completed work as far as God is concerned. The penalty has been paid and God's justice has been satisfied. Justification has to be received through faith and we have to come daily to apply it in our very being and thinking daily. We have to apply this truth to ourselves. Jerry Bridges, again, is helpful as he describes it this way. He says, there are two courts we must deal with, the court of God in heaven and the court of conscience in our souls. When we trust Christ for salvation, God's court is forever satisfied. Never again will a charge be brought against us in heaven. Our conscience, however, continually pronouncing us guilty. That is the function of, of conscience. Therefore, we must by faith bring the verdict of conscience into line with the verdict of heaven. We do this by agreeing with our conscience about our guilt, but then reminding it that our guilt has already been born in Christ. So we are justified freely by God's grace, and grace as we know it is the un, 
deserve favor of God shown to those who only deserve his wrath. And God is under no obligation to grant us of any such favor. The decision to give us this favor comes from his goodness, his love. Truth number six. This justification through is through the redemption that came by Jesus. The rest of verse 24. How can a just God continue justifying you and I? He does it through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Scholars would probably, uh, well, in fact, they will. Scholars, if you looked up the word redemption, redemption um, scholars would say it means deliverance by, uh, by the effect of paying a ransom. So through Jesus, we who weren't slaves to sin and death and judgment to us who had never could pay that debt that we owe, to us, redemption, freedom from the debt has come. Although it was totally free for us, it was purchased by Jesus with his blood. Christ has paid the ransom that redeemed us from God's just and holy wrath. And justification is more than a pardon. We in our, listen to the news at times, we will hear of governors, presidents pardoning people. Um, you know, a pardon is excusing offense without demanding a penalty. We could say justice was not carried out possibly. But God's act of justification, however, justice is not violated. Justice has been satisfied. It is fully paid by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christ's death has completely satisfied the justice of God. So preaching the gospel to ourselves again means that we, when we are bombarded with, by thoughts of our sin, it is the most important to concentrate on the fact that our sins are real and without excuse. God's justice has been satisfied by Christ. The penalty has been paid in full by him. You know, you may be thinking, so, you know, we keep on sinning that grace may increase. By no means. But that's another sermon for another day, guys, but... I think you know what I mean. Finally, number seven. Seventh truth that we glean here from Jerry Bridges' book in the, in the Word of God. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. So what must we have faith in? It is faith in Christ and his work on the cross. You know, Christ is, is, is more than just someone to be admired or some inspiration for us. Righteousness comes through faith in his blood. That's what it says. Saving faith in Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Father justifies his people through the work of Jesus, his Son. And God redeems us by presenting Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement, as the NIB says. That's how God justifies sinners and how he makes the unrighteous righteous. Um, your version or some translations will use the word propitiation instead of a sacrifice of atonement. Propitiation is a word that we as Christians should know.
we should become familiar with it. <clears throat> Basically, it means the turning away of God's just and holy wrath. It's turned specifically away from us. We who deserved it, and it was accomplished by Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus took the wrath of God in our place. The cross is where is the place where the judge takes the judgment. Please understand, God does not set his justice aside. He turns it on himself. And there is no such thing as cheap grace. Sin had to be punished. And it's not our righteousness that saves us, but Christ. And we are saved by grace. You need to also understand that propitiation was initiated by, by God, the Father. It's his plan. It is the Father who provided the Son to satisfy his justice and appease his wrath. So as we preach the gospel to ourselves and are feeling possibly God's wrath is hanging over us, again, by our daily, daily lives, remember it is God who devised the plan where his wrath is, is fully satisfied or executed and turned away from us. And understand that it is the faith in his blood of Christ that connects our salvation. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What does scripture say about the blood of Jesus? It is the blood of Christ that cleanses our conscience from defilement of sin. Hebrews 9.14 it is the blood of Christ that purifies us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. It is the blood of Christ that we have confidence to enter the most holy place into the presence of the most high God. Hebrews 10, 10. So when we have failed God once again, very likely in this, with the same sin over and over again, the gospel preached eternally is that we rely and turn our whole being to the cleansing blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Christ that we need to take possession of daily also and as many times as we need to give us a renewed sense of peace with God. So to bring this thing to a conclusion, this is the gospel that we actually need to become familiar with, ladies and gentlemen. And it's a gospel that we need to preach to ourselves every day. You know, we continually need to face up to our own sinfulness. You know, an assessment of the human heart is that every tension is only bent toward evil. Basically, the effect of sin on us is to total. I think it was Chuck Swindoll that said, if the sin was blue, we'd be blue all over. And the result of sin is this, there is nothing righteous about us. Because sin renders us totally unrighteous. And it's because of our sin that we need to daily run to Jesus because you and I are unable to stand before God based on our own righteousness. Jesus lived the perfect life for us. On the cross, he took our guilt and shame, and by his wounds we are healed. It is on our behalf the judgment fell on him. He experienced God's judgment and full weight of God's wrath over sin so that we wouldn't have to. His resurrection guarantees us life eternal 
His righteousness is our only hope. And we do not preach the gospel to ourselves without the cross because God's love flows to us by the results of the atoning death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this, this is the gospel by which we are saved. And it's the gospel by which we must live every day of our Christian lives. So remember, the gospel is for us first. We cannot share. We cannot live our daily lives without the gospel. If we're going to exalt God, if we're going to edify the saints, if we're going to evangelize the lost, we have to know and live the gospel daily. Romans 4.8, I will close with this. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So, we've, like I said, purposely set worship now. But a question that I will present to us today is, where do you stand today? Are your transgressions forgiven? Are your sins covered? Never to be accounted against you? How do you answer that question? Or maybe perhaps there is a voice that is speaking to you today that is causing you to give up your life and come to Christ. I urge you, if you hear that voice, you hear his voice. The scripture tells us, do not harden your hearts. You know, scripture tells us also, the Lord waits to be gracious to us. But there will come a day that the waiting is over for you. We, as we all know, we don't know what the next minute, our day will bring for us. So I encourage us all to use this time of worship to celebrate, um, repent, return, whatever it may be in your life. To God be the glory with great things he has done. Amen. Amen.